do you enjoy data futurology and the unique take that we have on leadership in data science? If so, please consider sponsoring us. We're currently looking for individuals and organizations to help us continue to create this content for the community. If you're an individual, please head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash datafuturology and you'll get some special perks, special access through that page. If you're an organization and you would like to get involved and help Data Futurology, please get in touch with me either through LinkedIn, through the website or via email. We'd love to hear from you so we can continue this mission of helping people become better leaders in the data science space. Thanks for your support. If you set the direction, set the pace and support people and are compassionate to their own issues as they're trying to cope with all the things happening, mm. I think that you can build and lead an amazing team of people. If you want to get more value from your data analytics investment, I highly recommend you speak with Rubik's. That's Rubik's with an X at the end. I've done a lot of work with them. They're excellent at what they do and they're a lot of fun to work with as well. Rubik's are a fully Australian-owned data analytics technology services company. They work with top ASX listed companies. They are dedicated to being Australia's leading data company. That's all they do. They love doing it. The experts at Rubik's apply their extensive data capability and rapid analytics framework to help you get the value you need from your data within a couple of weeks. After that, the sky's the limit. I've been impressed at how fast they are at delivery. Unlike other consulting companies, Rubik's is a true partner. They are data specialists. They always send in their A-team, or as they like to call it, the data Avengers. For data strategy, all the way through to delivery, give them a call, ask for Dylan. You'll have a fantastic conversation. You'll walk away smarter and have had a few laughs as well. And also check out the website, rubix.com.au and for the contact form, go to rubix.com.au forward slash contact. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Today I'm speaking with Jean Holm. She's the Chief Data Officer for the City of Los Angeles. Jean, thank you so much for making the time. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, Felipe. How are you today? Yeah, doing very well. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. Uh, at the beginning, I wanted to ask you about how you came into the world of data, how, how you got started. I saw you from your background that you started as a, as a paralegal um, and then went on to you know, work in, in NASA, in data.gov, in Walt Disney, and obviously um, at UCLA, and now at, um, at the city of Los Angeles as chief data officer. How, how was that, that journey for you? Um, it's, uh, it's been a good journey. Uh, I think it's interesting. The thing that connects all of these different disparate pieces is wanting to tell stories that help people create better actions. Mm -hmm. And so I actually started as a writer uh, when I was at NASA and then moved into technology with the advent of the internet. That tells you a little bit how old I am. And, uh, and so I, I spent 30 years, 32 years at NASA, uh, helping to build collaborative systems and really focusing on trying to get better information about the space agency and our exploration out to people. Did a lot of work on social media and collaboration systems and uh, the nasa.gov website. And then I moved on to be with the White House uh, under the Obama administration 
as the evangelist for open data for uh, with data.gov and a variety of other open data initiatives. I spent a few years working with the World Bank in uh, Central Africa and India and Russia, helping to open up data and create training programs for young people around data and new technologies. Um, wow. I've been teaching at UCLA for about 20 years um, in data science and computer science, but then also non-traditional classes to non-traditional students in our inner city programs. And then um, I am uh, four years now at the city of Los Angeles. It's my hometown. So I'm really glad to be working. Oh, for nice. amazing, yeah. I'm glad to be working for an amazing mayor. Oh, that's incredible. And um, did you, did the, the move into, into the, the data space, was that something uh, deliberate for you or something that uh, you saw it as a, as a, an opportunity um, and, and something that you saw was going to be more and more important in the future or, or did you feel like you, it was something that you fell into? Well, I, uh, I didn't fall into it so much. The, what I had done before that, kind of most immediately before, was leading uh, the Federal Knowledge Management Working Group, which was really looking at like content management and, and different aspects of integrating data and information to make wisdom kinds of things um, around the collaboration systems and how people work together uh, to be able to create new knowledge. And what became pretty clear pretty fast was our ability to gather and organize data was was going to be the tsunami. Mm. And so it was one thing to be thinking about aggregating and integrating information from disparate papers, like published papers in those days. But now we had a whole new realm of possibility around data that really needed structure and organization um, you know, communities to be built around the kinds of data, understanding of how to open data in ways that would mm -hmm. make it reusable by businesses and researchers and, and just the regular public. Um, and, and that really attracted me to that field. Certainly that has led to a whole explosion in our understanding of like equity and the way in which we provide services from a government to people, but also just the way in which people can understand and advocate for what they care about. True. That's um. That's really really interesting. So definitely leads me leads me into um, my next question. For the people that that don't know about what a chief data officer role for for a city would look like, how would you describe that role? And um, what are some of the the areas of most importance? Sure. So uh, chief data officers exist in government. They also exist in private industry. Um, it's easier to explain than my last job title, which was evangelist. Uh, <laughs> But um, a chief data officer focuses on organizing and uh, helping to bring out the data from different parts of the organization and then either making it easier to share within the organization so one group can work with another group's data to make better insights or to also share that out with the public, particularly in the role of government. So a governmental chief data officer focuses on that idea of taking data that people are already paying for, right? Your taxes pay for the government. Mm -hmm. So we wanna take the data about how many cars are on the roads and how much trash we pick up and how sustainable our practices are and how many people we've trained in our workforce training centers. We wanna make all that kind of data available and accessible to people so there's two pieces of that. And, and this is part of the work I did on data.gov. There's the focus on giving data literacy and training and support to the people inside government who are not necessarily data scientists themselves, but may manage a piece of that data. So helping them understand how to structure and organize that data 
and put some context around it. And then secondarily, it's working with people outside of government, like businesses and academic researchers and Mm -hmm. community-based organizations and advocacy groups who want to use that data and, but need the, the information, the context, and, and just the awareness that the data is there. So it's sort of this bridging role between technology and context and making sure that, um, that the uh, group, the city or, or whoever you're working for is able to really harness and leverage that data for social impact. Yes, yes, that's so interesting. <clears throat> and the, the internal uh, training and upskilling that you uh, that you assist with or, or that you run, what does that look like? So we have a couple of different kinds of programs. There's uh, in a in a municipal government, it's pretty structured the civil service classifications. So part of what we had to do just in the last couple of years is to create a new classification around a data analyst that would be uh, this kind of new. St- Uh, ability to bring in people who have been studying data science or a related field, Um, not necessarily even a a technical field, right? People can come from lots of backgrounds and be able to bring those folks in to be able to do the data analysis and help us to get insights and structure the data. The training programs are ones where we're pulling in courses from other organizations, universities, um, online resources, we uh, you know, have a bunch that we work with at the city like lynda.com and structure those in a way that helps people build on each piece of knowledge. Um, most people in a job don't have you know, eight weeks or six months to train yeah. into a new technology, but they might have two to four hours a month, maybe. <laughs> and yeah. so we've tried to make them digestible uh, bits of, uh, of time where people can just start to skill up. That's great. And are they are they mostly internally generated, or do you use outside resources? No, we use a lot of out, yeah. Sorry, didn't nice. interrupt. We use a lot of outside resources. We find that you know the community as a whole has done a lot around data literacy. There's no reason we need to reinvent it. There's some pieces we do that are like in context. Mm. So we have we augment the structured learning with our citywide data collaboratives. And that kind of brings all the different data analysts together once a month to then look at census data. Or right now we're, we're starting to focus on issues around racial equity. Mm-hmm. And so then we can focus on topical areas that really are less about external training and more about internal training. That's fantastic. Oh, that's super, super um, uh, amazing initiatives and um, really well done. And, and I find that definitely the providing the, the, the context for people while they're learning, it definitely helps them sk- um, skill up quickly. So that, that sounds really great. I have to ask you this question, which is around how, how do you pick what to focus on? And obviously, it's a, it's a question that, that um, it's definitely a problem for, for organizations and for data teams within organizations because uh, it, in, in those situations, it feels like, you know, the world is your oyster. But when you think about a city and all the data that you can get uh, and, and acquire through, through partners and all the impact that you can have for, for the people that live in the city, I, it feels like the world of possibilities is even greater. Um, how, how, um, how do you decide where, where to focus on, what to chase, and, um, yeah, and, 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 what can, and what will come next? That is a great question, Felipe. <laughs> um, so, so there are things that we strategically decide to do, right? Mm-hmm. So this is kind of going into this idea of reactive versus proactive. Mm-hmm. So strategically, right now, we are very interested in focusing on uh, 
data that helps us understand racial and other inequities in the city. So are we cleaning the streets as fast in poor neighborhoods as we are in rich neighborhoods? Are we providing equitable services? Uh, we've been doing a lot during COVID. We've been doing a ton of uh, social programs that we don't normally do. We're in the midst this week of giving away $103 million in rent subsidies across wow. the city of Los Angeles. And recently uh, we had people donate money and we gave away $37 million to the poorest Angelinos to be able to help make ends meet. And most of that money was spent on food. So like these are people in pretty dire straits. Mm. Um, so there's some pieces that we're really focused on strategically. Mm. There's other pieces that may be more reactive because something comes up like COVID, right? Mm. It was it was foreseen early maybe in December that something was happening. And by January we understood there was something happening. But it wasn't like we could predict it last October. Yeah. Um, so and, and public health isn't uh, an an initiative at the city, it's at the county level. So it's, it's, mm. it's not really even in our bailiwick. Mm. So in some cases we have to be more reactive. But this idea of what we select ends up coming from a couple of different priorities in addition. One is of course, Mayor Eric Garcetti. The other is our 15 council members who each oversee an area of a few hundred thousand people. So it's a pretty big um, uh, area that they oversee. And they'll come forward with some specific things around uh, items that are important to their community. Um, and then there are other things where we might be able to get a special grant to pursue things like with the NASA grant around air quality. We have another grant from the Toyota Foundation that looks at uh, pedestrian safety and how we can help people cross streets safer. Right. And there's another grant we have with the Hilton Foundation around the sustainable development goals, which we use as a framework for how we structure and look at gaps in the, the way in which we manage data and equities at the city. One of the things that, that uh, keeps standing out um, for, for me in, in, in the, all the great initiatives that you're telling me is that the ability that, that, uh, that you and, and, and the city, the department have to, to pivot and, and change and be agile to, to respond to the problems that are arising, um, I'm, I'm finding that really, uh, really inspiring, uh, really amazing. Uh, can can you tell us a little bit about about your your thoughts, maybe your your mindset around leading during this this times of change? Obviously, during this time as well. But there's there's a lot of there's a lot of times where I've seen or I've heard that you you've been able to to change and respond in a very agile way to to what's happening and what the city needs. Sure, um, you know I think that's a it's an indication of the people you work with. And the commitment that people have to the goal of the organization. And, um, you know, I'm a third generation Angelino. I always lived in the city, even though I've worked all over the world and I worked in Washington, D.C. for 12 years. I, I commuted. I hesitate to say that. <laughs> I had wow. a very bad environmental footprint, but yeah. I, I love my hometown. And, mm -hmm. and I know that people have different opinions of Los Angeles, but one of the things that I know is that uh, people in Los Angeles pull together. And they share a lot across their diversity and they value that diversity. And so I really wanted to come, you know, from the World Bank working globally to working for my hometown because I could see the opportunity and the leadership from the mayor, from Mayor Garcetti and from the city council and the commitment that people had to making LA the best place possible. And I see that commitment every day from people who are, you know, 
just started their job at the city, from people who are working in our sanitation department, from people who work at our 311 call center, from people in the mayor's office. Every person every day understands what they're doing and how it makes a difference. And they're committed to that. And so I, I used to run the 311 call center. And so these are, these are folks who really take a lot of uh, frustration from people mm-hmm. because people call because there's something broken that they're trying to report and get fixed. And so people may be quite angry about something that is not, has nothing to do with the person answering the phone. Mm-hmm. And those men and women in 311 at the drop of a hat have done 24 hour shifts, mm-hmm. have been able to help during COVID. They have learned so much about disease spread and outbreaks so that they can be the information line for the city. And, and that kind of commitment means that if you set the direction, set the pace and support people and are compassionate to their own issues as they're trying to cope with all the things happening, mm-hmm. I think that you can build and lead an amazing team of people. And I just see that that's the possibility in most organizations, especially ones that have such a social commitment. Yes, yes, definitely. I think that that um, that people uh, would be able to see the difference that they make, uh, and and maybe feel prouder about about that difference that they make. Uh, I think it's it's oh, it's it's amazing to see, and um, and sort of changing changing tack a little bit. I wanted to ask you about about your team. And and building, you know, obviously building teams, getting getting the, the right type of talent, uh, managing and fostering that talent, and getting the best out of out of our teams, diverse teams as well, is is always a a, a tough problem for or an area of focus for leaders, I should say. How how have you gone about um, building your team? What is what does the structure look like, and how do you how do you um, think about um, fostering and growing the team? So um, thanks. It's a great question. And again, I, I, people are only as strong as the people around them. And the, like, you can be a one-person show, but it doesn't get you very far. Yeah. So you know, in Africa, the, the saying is, if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. Um, and, yeah. And so you know, we have long ways to go. We need to go together. Um, and so we, when I look at who I'm going to be hiring, I look at a, a first and foremost, attitude. So I care less about how good a Python programmer they are than I do about their commitment to the the, um, values that we have as a city and their ability to be um, creative and open. So, you know, it's Python today, it's going to be something else tomorrow. Um, You know, so I don't need the person who's going to be an expert necessarily on today's programming language. I need them to also be thinking about architecture and systemic change and the context of the data and helping people learn so that our whole city workforce gets stronger together. It doesn't do me any good to go into, say, the zoo Uh, and tell them exactly how they should structure the data and just do it for them. I would rather, and what we did this semester, this last semester when things, before things shut down, was we partnered them with students at Claremont Graduate University to work on some specific projects that they had. And together, they all learned more about how to approach that problem. So, so we look at this idea of diversity from a technical perspective, diversity from an age perspective, diversity from ethnicity and social standing, and um, diversity of thought. Uh, you know, I only have 
this much knowledge, but my team, you know, together has amazing knowledge. And so we want to lift up all those ideas so that we get the best solution for people. I think it's a challenge sometimes because recruiting with government salaries, I can't compete with, you know, with some of the, with many of the salaries for data scientists. It's a very uh, profitable career choice. I would just encourage everybody to go into data science. Yes. But in um, machine learning and artificial intelligence. But it's, it's also hard then to compete when I know that they can go to another company and get a lot more money. Mm. And they can sometimes go to another company that might be really fun. You know, we have Hollywood is part of the city of Los Angeles, so they can work for an entertainment company. They can work for Blizzard Games, which does World of Warcraft or mm. League of Legends over at Riot Games. I mean, there's amazing, fun uh, jobs all over the city of Los Angeles. But none of them have the kind of social impact and the ability yes. for anybody to make significant contributions that the municipal government does. And so... I try to use that as an attractor and I try to also give people lots of opportunity to work. So we have full-time positions, we have student positions, we have uh, data angels. Uh, the data angels program is for volunteers who want to come in and maybe work on a specific project. So right nice. now we have a lot of people wanting to volunteer and help us understand racial equity. Um, uh, but they might be, uh, they might be a mid career person who just wants to try something different or, or contribute back. And then we also have lots of other partnerships where we work with private industry and community-based organizations like the United Way, um, or even local uh, churches and temples and synagogues to be able to um, understand issues that are important to them. So it's all about giving yeah. people the space to contribute in the way that makes sense for them. Yes, uh, yes, but you're also making it um, so open, so welcoming, uh, and, and allowing people to, to, you know, help where their interest is. Um, and you have the, the infrastructure, the, the partnerships to, to really um, ignite the passion in, in people's minds and hearts about what they could do, and then give them the platform to, to do that. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really impressive. <laughs> Well, again, um, you know, if you want to go far, <laughs> go together. And, you know, there's only, although the city's a big, like a big organization, there's 48,000 people who work for the city. Wow. It's a big city. Yeah. Um, a lot of those people do sort of the jobs of keeping the city safe and clean and the streets clean and the trash picked up and the zoo animals fed. And, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of work to be done. And so, although it seems like we have a lot of people, we don't have a ton of people in data science. And so, and we, we also are, are very sensitive to the fact of issues of bias in mm. algorithms and data ethics. So the more transparent we are, I feel that the better it is because people will either help us to be better or they will improve their trust of government. Working in government, not everybody trusts the government. Um, and I think the transparency is a great way to try to build that trust. And especially if you're open about making changes and open about understanding maybe where you've made errors yes. or where you need to improve and being clear about that is helpful. Definitely. And what, what, are, what are the initiatives around transparency and, and, and engagement uh, and to essentially to, to help build that, uh, that trust? What are, what are some of the initiatives around that space look like? Sure. So we have an open data portal. So we provide all of our data sets and 
relatively easy, we're still working on it, but relatively easy ways. Um, most of those data sets have an open API. That's mm -hmm. a, a way for people to easily sort of like digest and consume that data. And then we also have a geo hub, which is where our geospatial goes, data goes, um, that's provided by Esri. And that allows people who maybe aren't mapping experts to easily see the data in a way that for visual learners particularly is helpful. And then to layer the data sets so that they can see if there's a correlation between the number of dog licenses that are provided and then the location of libraries, you know, whatever, whatever they want to start to correlate, they can, they can do that much more easily because we provide it in a, in a base platform for them to easily consume it and use it. Mm -hmm. The other thing we do around transparency is that we work uh, with, uh, there's a level of organization at the city called neighborhood councils. So we talked about the 15 council members, but below that there's 99 neighborhoods in Los Angeles. It's a lot. And each of those has a group of locally elected officials that have an ability to kind of bubble up the needs and requirements from their community. So this is a, because LA is such a big place. We needed it to, to this was a change a, a couple of decades ago to make it more actionable and to let people have a better one-on-one -on -one connection with government. And so we work a lot with these neighborhood councils and we do data literacy training programs with our neighborhood councils uh, to be able to help them understand what the local information is for the community. So we give them an uh, easy way on a mobile app to be able to find demographic data, what uh, some of the upcoming city activities are, um, who their local officials are, what kind of uh, planning for streets, uh, street repaving is going on, all that kind of information that needs to be really actionable. Who's called in for to fix that pot? Not the person, but like the fact that that pothole on that street will be fixed in the next 24 hours because somebody called it in. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we tried to make the idea of transparency big with portals and GeoHub and small and actionable by giving people the the power of actually looking at the data themselves in really understandable and actionable ways. Yes. Very impressed with your style of leadership, with um, just connecting all the different parties to be able to get outcomes like this is, is incredible. So I wanted to ask you about what do you see as the, the biggest challenge in leadership in, in data science uh, overall? Uh, what what do you see as sort of like either the, the trickiest parts, biggest challenges, or the, the areas that need the most focus? How what what have you found? Um, I think part of the challenges in data science are getting people well, one getting people to release the data. <laughs> uh, lots of data is being collected both in the government and also in the private sector, and so uh, getting people to release that data in ways that are respectful for people's uh, privacy. Because yes. um, sometimes people say, oh, you can't give us, we can't have any data um, around this, uh, these individuals, but what we really want is anonymized data. So for example, on air quality, one of the data sets we get is based on people who use inhalers because they have asthma. So there's a certain kind of inhaler that has a GPS device in it and that, that inhaler, um, notes every time a person uses it and where they are so that they can work with their doctor to be able to avoid areas that trigger their asthma. Wow. We don't want that individual data 
at all. But we do want an overall heat map that shows us where the most problematic areas are in the city so we can send an investigator to figure out what's going on. If everybody's having a problem breathing in a certain city block, we want to understand what's going on. Um, secondary, so one is getting people to release the data in ways that you know, are, are appropriate. The second one is this issue around data literacy. So how do we help decision makers um, inside the city particularly is my focus, be able to um, use that data in ways that help them create better actions. So it's one thing to know how air quality has changed or how it's changing, but it's another one to have enough context around that data to be able to make a better policy that will improve air quality in the long run in a way that doesn't completely like stop manufacturing. Right. So you got like this, always this balance between the perfect and the actual. Um, And I think the other real challenge is that there's this uh, new influx of huge amounts of data Mm -hmm. and that data is, um, is sometimes hard to manage because there's just so much of it. And so what do you select? What do you prioritize? How do you start to put the data together in ways that start to unravel all of this? And, um, and, and part of it too is understanding if there's a bias in the collection of that data. Mm-hmm. So when we talked earlier about uh, housing affordability, mm-hmm. right, there, we had to understand that there's this inherent bias in that data that's biased against people of color because of old artifacts of the way in which the financial systems and housing loans were set up. Yeah. But if we didn't understand that, the data would show us something, could show us something that's not exactly true. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Um, that's that's incredible. Keeping keeping uh, making sure that you're covering all all those bases, Jane. That is a wonderful note to end on. I want to thank you so much for your time, for sharing your your journey, your perspectives, all the interesting work that you're doing. I'm I'm so impressed. Uh, uh, so thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about what's happening in your world. Thank you, Felipe. And, uh, and I just, I want to encourage everyone who's listening to go out there and be kind, be curious and be brave. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.